Hey guys, I'm really excited to announce we are going to be doing a giveaway. What this is going to be is a two-man, two-day guided waterfowl hunt on November 18th and 19th in Northeast Kansas with Steady Wing Outfitters. In order to be signed up for the drawing, there's four things I need you to do. You need to go on to Instagram and follow the Steady Wing Outfitters Instagram page. You have to follow the Wicked Hunting Report Instagram page. In that Wicked Hunting Report Instagram page, I'm going to be making a post about the giveaway. In that post, I need you to tag three friends in it, and then you have to subscribe to the podcast. Once you've done all four of those things, follow the two Instagram pages, subscribe to the podcast, and tag your three friends. I need you to screenshot all four of those things and send them in a message to me on the Wicked Hunting Report Instagram page. Once you've done that, I'll enter you into the drawing. Uh, the drawing will go until the last day of February. Then on March 1st, I will draw the winner. And then on March 2nd, in that episode, I will announce who the winner is. So good luck. Tell your friends. Get as many people as you can signed up. The more people you have signed up, the better options you have that one of your buddies is going to win it and invite you along. Good luck. Before we get started, I want to tell you about our sponsors. Uh, first, we have DuckSeason.com. That's D-U-K-S-Z-N.com. Uh, go on there and check it out. You can trade hunts with people from across the country. Uh, there's a good duck hunting forum on there. You can buy some merchandise. Uh, there's also the Salty Fowl line of clothing on there where 100% of the profits go to the conservation of eiders. Next, we have Steady Wing Outfitters. It's located in northeast Kansas, and they're guiding for waterfowl, turkey, and deer. Uh, follow them on Instagram and Facebook, and if you want to book a hunt, you can call Mikey Soberano. His number is 785-410-2304. Next, we have 701 Pursuit. That's Caleb and the guys making hunting and fishing videos on YouTube. Uh, you can check them out there, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, all those places. They also have a website. It is the numbers 701pursuit.com. Go on there and buy some clothes, hat shirts, stuff like that. Now we've got Waylon Johnson and his guide service, uh, hunting ducks and geese down in the San Antonio, Texas area. Uh, you can find him on Facebook. It's Waylon Johnson on there. Or you can give him a call. His number is 361 Four nine four seven eight six eight. Lastly, we have Highline Retrievers uh, dog training up in Northeast Montana. You can find them on Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok. It's H I L I N E Retrievers. You can also uh, give me a call. My number is four zero six seven eight three seven zero eight three. If you have any questions on training, need any advice, any help, or if you want to set up some training in the future for your four-legged friend. Uh, thanks a lot and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Wicked Hunting Report. Today I've got Chris. Chris, I'm not even going to try to say your last name, so why don't you introduce yourself? Uh, Chris Galatelli, one okay. of the, uh, the few Italians living up here on the High Line. <laughs> so where are you living at? So I, I'm up in I'm central Montana. I'm just uh, just outside of Great Falls, basically. And you're not originally from here, so where are you from? Well, I grew up in New York, um, upstate New York, and I've been in Montana since 2010. That's when I moved out here uh, for work, and I've been here ever since. And then pretty much since then, I've lived in um, northeast uh, Montana. I've lived in Great Falls. I've lived in central Montana, so... I've been all over the state, basically. All right. So what, I guess, what do you do for work? Are you Border Patrol or what do you do? <clears throat> yep. Yep. Border Patrol. So pretty much they just, uh, you know, Scobie's only like 12 miles from the border. That was my first station. And then I got transferred to Great Falls to work with the air unit for a little while, which was pretty fun. And after a couple of years of that, went back to the line and now I'm back up on the Canadian border. All right. So to get started, what got you into hunting? Well, um, you know, coming from upstate New York with a family that doesn't hunt and doesn't own firearms and things like that, I, n I never grew up around any of it. 
I did a lot of camping and fishing when I was a kid, but um, I, dude, I couldn't even look at roadkill or dead squirrels in the sidewalk, mice, things like that. It just creeped me out. I was just terrified of these dead creatures all over the place because the only time I would see them in New York was when they're dead on the road. So uh, once I moved to Montana, you know, going from New York with uh, the county alone has close to a million people to Scobie, which I think the county's just shy of like 2000. You, I mean, you yeah. want to talk about a culture shock. I, uh, I was like, oh boy, I, I better find a hobby and I better find one quick or I'm going to go crazy. So the way, the way it worked out was one of my first winters up in Scobie, they had a really bad winter, 2010, 2011, there was a bad winter that came through and we had feet of snow, which is I mean, feet throughout the prairies, not just in the ditches where it likes to blow and drift into. It was feet everywhere. Um, So the deer population was getting like just crushed by they couldn't get any food. So they started getting into all the farmers, hay, everything that they needed for their cattle. And uh, FWP came in and just started handing out all these harvest tags. So. I got asked to tag along with some friends that wanted to go shoot some uh, some of these surplus tags. And pretty much, you know, I was like, well, you know, I think this is something that I can get into and put in for tags the next year. And I just pretty much have been full speed with it ever since. I just I fell in love with it right away. That's cool. So. Did I'm assuming you just started out with rifle. Have you gone on from that at all? Tried archery? Yeah, so I think I did about three seasons worth of rifle hunting, and then my roommate at the time actually had a bow, and he's outside practicing, and I was like, hey, man, that looks like, you know, that'd be something that would be fun to try out, and, you know, he was, he's six foot five, pushing 300 pounds, he's a big dude, and I'm like, how hard can it be, you know, to try to pull back this bow? 70 pound draw but he's a 32 inch draw length at least at least a 32 and um you know i pull it back it took me a while to figure out how to pull the dang thing back and of course the first couple times that i actually shot it i'm just getting whipped by that string because <laughs> his draw length is so big and i was like this is ridiculous he goes no you know you, you got to have a setup specific to your height and and arm length and everything like that so I just, um, I went and bought a bow, I think, like, shortly after that, started practicing with it over the summer, and after about uh, three months of practice, I was I was hunting deer with my, with my bow over there in Scobie. I actually ended up shooting uh, a buck, a three-by-four, like, two, three weeks into archery season, so, you know, I was pretty pumped, and then, and then after, you know, having success with that, it's just like, you're hooked. You don't want to go back to rifle hunting. So yeah. most of my hunting has been with the bow. My, uh, yeah, I definitely understand what you mean, not wanting to go back. Cause after I got my first buck with a bow, I mean, that adrenaline rush was unlike anything I'd ever experienced up to that point. I've kind of been chasing that ever since. There's nothing like it. And to <clears throat> yeah. that, Pulling back that 70 pounds on a bow for people that don't archery hunt. I grew up doing it, like, since I could walk, I had a bow in my hand. My family's big into it, but, I mean, I I always had, like, a 70 to 75-pound bow all the way through high school, and I had kids in my class that never bow hunted, so they asked to try it out. And some of those guys that are farm tough, watching them try to pull back a 70-pound bow because it's muscles you never use, it's like they're struggling to pick up 200 pounds or something. It's crazy. Yeah, it's a uh, it's different, man. I mean, yeah, it's the 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 muscle memory that you need to have in your back to pull those things back. And then once you figure it out, I mean, it's like pulling nothing back. Yeah, you know. Yeah, seventy, 70 pounds, pounds is nothing is, to me. Yeah, but uh, it definitely is funny to see people try to pull them back if you if you don't know what to expect. And that arm slap thing too, and they don't know what's coming if the draw length's not right oh, for yeah. them. I mean, anybody yeah. that shot bow that hasn't got their arm bruised up. They didn't start out right or something. You got to feel that pain at one point. Yeah, and, and I do it every year. 
you know, if I'm not paying attention to my form, right, you know, when I take it out in the spring, I'm bound to do it at least once a season. So it happens. Well, when, but. when I switched back to uh, traditional this well, last year and a half or so, when I got back to those, my form is a little bit different. It needs to be a little bit different with uh, the traditional ones than the compounds. So that first month was trying to figure that out. And I think my arm was black and blue for three months after that. It was so bad. Yeah. I forgot how bad that mm-hmm. hurt. So did you start out with a finger release then? Or did you go to back tension? Or have you done that at all? I've had I've had the same trigger release since I started. I haven't. Okay. I have, I've bought. I've got a couple extra. I've always used trigger releases. I tried using some back tension release. Um, I I didn't like it. I think it's because, you know, with with my work, with it being law enforcement and actually shooting a firearm a lot, my trigger, my trigger finger is sensitive. I'm not I'm not slapping triggers, you know, so that's not a problem for me because I'm so used to that trigger, that trigger pull. So I I think that's why I haven't really needed to change it up. Um, I'm fairly accurate with that bow. Uh, I, I practice usually in the summertime and springtime. I practice at 60 with my full setup, 60 yards, and then sometimes I'll punch it out to 70 because I, I just don't like taking really long shots. 60 is yeah. about my max. I think the farthest I've ever shot was 65 on an animal, um, and I hit it, but it was still like there's a lot of time between that arrow releasing and, and it actually hitting targets. So try to keep it down to like 60 yards and um, I'm fairly accurate up, up until that point. Yeah, that was, that was always my max 60 to 65 with the compound, not with these things anymore. I'm like 20 yeah. yards max, 25 with those. Yeah. But, but with that, I would go out and I would practice 80, 80 plus just to know that I could, I would never do it, mm-hmm. but it makes that 60 yards seem a lot easier. If you know, you can hit 80. Yeah. But what all do you chase around now? Are you just chasing deer? Or I know you do a little bit of elk hunting too. Uh, antelope, deer, and elk. So, you know, I'll I'll go out in the springtime for bear, but I don't make a huge deal out of it. It's more or less just to get out after a winter being stuck in the house. Um, seen a lot of bears. I haven't shot any. Um, but yeah, most most of my focus goes into antelope deer and elk what's your favorite one to chase uh, elk elk hands down for sure Absolutely. i mean there's not it's it's just it's just uncomparable i mean mule deer and white-tailed deer as well um they're they're both fun and it's exhilarating and of course it's the same adrenaline but when you have an 800 pound animal looking at you and bugling his ass off i mean to have that in front of you and have that kind of encounter, it's it's a lot different. So, um, I I tend to like elk hunting more. I'll take actual vacation time in the fall and go out and chase them in the breaks. Yeah, because that's what sick leave is for, right? Yeah, you got it. So, where all have you been hunting? Have you just stuck around in Montana for it, or have you traveled anywhere? <clears throat> no, all of my hunting has been. Um, in montana and just a little bit in texas um which was just like hog hunting predator hunting so uh i haven't left i i've hunted the breaks in the same area pretty much since i started uh we found this one spot that's just every year i go there i find the elk it's it's not hard for me to find them at this point and I've put so many miles on my feet in that country that I know every ridge line. I know if they're not in spot A, they're going to be in spot B. And if they're not in spot A or B, they'll be there within a day or two. They just do a big circle. So I've, I've learned their patterns. Um, I don't go out before the season to scout because I've never had an issue finding them there. So I hunt a, a small section in the breaks pretty much all the time. Okay. Are you uh, planning on going anywhere else to hunt? Have you been applying anywhere? Any special tags? No, I, I put in for the same spot every year. 
I thought about it, you know, this year I thought about it, um, maybe trying something further into the mountains, um, just trying a different terrain because I feel like the brakes, that environment, that kind of terrain really tests your abilities. You have to be honed in hundred percent in order to get in on these animals because they act different. They, they don't respond often to calling. They, they can see you more because it's just scattered timber. Um, there's so many breaks that you're more likely to stumble upon a bedded up elk than spotting them from X amount of yards away. So you really got to hone your skills in when you go down there. And I thought about maybe heading up to the rocky front, but it's hard to leave elk to find elk. So, you know, I've shot three elk out of the breaks so far, even what is that? So like nine years of hunting it. I think I had a couple of years where I didn't hunt it um, just because of work. Uh, but yeah, I've, I've never not found elk. I had one season where we had record rainfall, which brought uh, Fort Peck Reservoir up like 20 some odd inches. And it washed everything out. It washed out all the roads. Uh, we tried getting down there and the mosquitoes rehatched from all that water and you couldn't get out of a tent or a trailer without being swarmed by hundreds, if not thousands of mosquitoes. So we, we made it like three days and, um, then we, we hightailed it out of there, but that was, that's the only season that we've ever not found elk there. Okay. So how was your season this year then? What all did you get? I shot my antelope this year um, out of a ground blind on a water hole at 53 yards. He, um, I tried spot and stalk for a while, but they just weren't ready to. I, I carried around a little decoy that you put on the front of the bow. It's an ultimate predator decoy. And it got me in like 100 yards to these goats, but they just didn't want to finalize and come in and challenge me yet. So that's kind of the end of September when they'll actually come in and challenge you on those decoys. I was just too early. I was trying it mid middle of August. So I was like, all right, man, I'm getting my ass kicked, uh, trying to spot and stalk them. I'm going to go sit in my buddy's blind. He had just shot his. And I was like, if you're not going to use it, you mind if I do it? And, uh, yeah, he let me in and I sat down that first morning Had a beautiful velvet white tail buck come in 30 yards, but it's, it's before, deer season started and uh he walks away and then after i think four or five hours of sitting in that blind finally the antelope came in and i i'm not picky i don't have to shoot an 18 inch antelope you know with a bow i'm i'm the least picky person with a bow and uh he came in and 53 yards uh, i had to hold my bow back for about two minutes uh he came down started to drink as soon as he put his head down, I pulled back and he drank for two minutes straight. It was crazy. And the angle was was so that if I released that bow because of all that pressure coming forward, if I collapsed, uh, he would have seen that movement and probably hightailed it out. But uh, so I held it and finally he went broadside. I put it right behind that last rib right out the other shoulder and he died within 100 yards. So I was pretty pumped about that. That was a good start. And then uh, went out, uh, shot a whitetail, shot, shot a whitetail buck like the second day of season. And he was a, the biggest whitetail I've seen in a while. And that was a 60-yard shot, but it didn't kill him. So as I released that arrow, he turned, which put, you know, I had the pin right behind that shoulder. And as he turned, the arrow basically hit in front of the shoulder. And okay. went through basically all brisket, but he was hurting. And I put, I, you know, I watched him for a while, um, tried getting in on another shot. Uh, the only shot he gave me, he bedded up on the other side of a five strand wire, 60 yards away. And he sees me and uh, I'm thinking I got to just get this arrow between these, these wires. I've got to get another arrow in him before he gets away. So I shot again, and of course, it was headed right to him, but hit the top strand and just flipped right over him. He took off. And I looked for him all day. I found him that evening. Uh, 
got up to him about, I think I almost stepped on him like four or five yards. But because of the terrain that he was in, kind of like a swampy bottom, I didn't have an arrow knocked because it, it just wasn't safe to walk around with a arrow loaded. So he jumped up, gave me a shot at 40 yards. I couldn't get an arrow in time. Wind was like 20 miles an hour, and then he was gone gone forever. So um, I was pretty bummed about that because he was a beautiful whitetail. And uh, the, the day that I actually went towards the end of the season, I went out again to you know hunt some deer. Um, I found him. Uh, the last day I was out hunting, I found him in the morning. I saw that scar. He was perfectly healthy. Almost had a second shot on him, but he was so strung out he was so on edge and alert like there was no getting getting this guy so but he's alive so i felt good about it you know it, it sucks to injure an animal but um he was still alive and healthy uh, no limp or anything so i was like well you know that's a relief so i hopped in my truck uh drove to another block management area and, and that's the same day that i shot my buck uh, it was a four by four muley with brow tines and I shot him at like 50 yards. So muley buck, antelope buck and a couple does. And that was my season. So yeah, it was, it was cool. a good, it was a good time. Yeah. So did you do the do- does with your bow too? I shot one doe with my bow and uh, the other with my rifle. I shot a muley doe with my bow and I shot a whitetail doe with my rifle. So, yeah. So what, I guess since we're on hunting story, do you have like your best hunt or your favorite one, your most memorable one? Um, the best year I had was now three seasons ago. Went down to the breaks and I shot a, uh, uh, he was a spike bull. He's, he's they actually call him salad forks because he's like a two by two. Um, I shot him. On the first day, within the first three hours of my hunt, uh, 30 yards, I called him in. I basically, I saw him bedded underneath some trees. I could only see a body. You know, I was with my brother who comes out. and He, um, he just tags along up until the last two seasons where he's actually hunted with me. But he's, he usually would just tag along, come out and camp. And uh, so we go in first day. I get to the first glassing point. And before I could even take my backpack off, a nice five by five comes walking into where we were trying to set up. I had I wasn't even ready for it. I had no calls. We barely got to the first glassing spot. So he came into 74 yards, gave me a shot, but I, I don't I don't shoot that far. Um, so I never had an opportunity on him. So I was like, all right, let's you know that's a good start. And we uh we changed up glassing spots and on the second spot we saw one bedded up so we moved in and i got to about 150 yards i could see that he had antlers um couldn't see how big but i was like i don't care i'm hunting with a bow it's such hard country to hunt i don't care how big he is if he's a spike i'm going to shoot him so i get in there and put like a 45 minute stalk on him and when i got to where i knew he was i didn't see him so i threw out a couple cow calls and he comes flying in, stops broadside 30, sec- 30 yards away, and I just double-lunged him. And he, he maybe went 100 yards and then tumbled down. So that was all within the first, like like I said, three or four hours of the hunt of the first day. So we packed him out, and now I'm saying, well, shit, like, now I still have a whole week off of work. Let's go out and hunt deer. So I go out and went to the spot that I had seen a huge buck, biggest buck I've ever seen. And uh, we go out and I, I chased that buck probably like three or four hunts where I got close for shots. I just, he just never gave me the opportunity to get an arrow off. And um, we go back, we don't see anything. It's like the worst time of day to hunt. It's like one o'clock in the afternoon. I just wanted to get out of the house and go hunt. And I see this buck feeding up on the side of a hill, probably eight or nine hundred yards away. All I can tell at this point is that he's a he's at least a four by four. I don't carry a spotting scope. I usually have my my camera on me, which can zoom in pretty pretty good. It's got a sixty times zoom, so that that's kind of what I use to to zoom in on 
on animals. I'm like, well, he's at least a four by four. Might as well go see if I can get close. And uh, I, I put a stalk on him. Got 60 yards. Uh, I'm not thinking that it's this big buck. I'm just thinking he's the four by just a four by four and draw back 60 yards, put it right between the ribs. He goes downhill, tumbles and he dies. And I get up to him with my brother. And I'm like, holy cow, dude, this thing's a pig. This is the bit. This is the big one I was chasing. Um, no idea until I had actually gotten up to him. And uh, he ended up scoring about 187. So you got him up on the wall behind you at all. He's upstairs. He's on a shoulder okay. mount. Oh, so, okay. you just got Europeans down there. Yeah, this is all euros um, and skull caps. So yeah. I don't have my wife only allows me to put so many upstairs. So I got you. But I didn't mean I to mean, cut you off just, like that. Was, oh, no, you're good, man. Go ahead. Um, yeah, like that. That all happened within three days shooting that bull, which you can probably see. Um, oh, there he is right there. Yeah. Yeah. And then I shot that big one, the big muley, three days after that. So that's easily the best season, um, both with the bow, biggest muley I've ever shot, probably, probably biggest one I'll ever shoot. And, um, yeah, and I got to do it all with my brother, which was also pretty awesome. So after I actually – so he came out – he usually comes out for elk season. We go to the breaks and – he came out with me for like three or four seasons in a row, and I just wasn't getting anything. I just couldn't. We'd get close to elk, but I never killed anything with them. So I think once he finally saw, like, no, you can actually kill things with a bow, he's like, I'm in. I'm going to get my hunter safety. I'm going to get a hunter's license, and and he's going he's gonna to do it himself. So he came out last year for the first time hunting, and he got a nice little muley buck. And then this year he came out with a cow elk tag and we shot a cow elk on our first day out. So he's hooked now. And uh, I'm just glad that I was able to. uh, He's learned a lot just from coming along on those hunts with me. And he's he's still back in New York. So but um, that's kind of so I've got a podcast, too. And that's kind of why I started the podcast was because there's so much information out there. but there's not a lot of information that really directs newer hunters. So with my brother being a newer hunter, I was like, man, like if I can just get some of this information on audio, put it out there for him and other guys that want to get into it. Like this, we have so much information, me and my friends, like, let's just get it on audio, put some tips and pointers out there on how we got successful. So that was kind of the idea with that. And, um, yeah, I just, I'm just, I'm just happy to see him start hunting and just new people coming out and hunting is great. I, I have just as much fun watching other people go out and hunt if I take them out than I do if I'm hunting. So it's just so some much. Some of my it's favorite memories. Some of my favorite memories from hunting are taking out new people or younger people. Like I was trying to think about like my favorite memory and all I could think about was when my sister shot her big non-typical buck it was her first whitetail as her second deer and yeah my favorite memories are taking out new people seeing the excitement in their eyes because i mean i grew up doing it it's not to say it's old hat but it's not quite as fun as it used to be if you can catch my drift so seeing other people experience what i used to experience is i like a lot so that was one of the things i was going to ask since you were started hunting so much later than like like I grew up doing it. Like I said, I grew up with a bow in my hand and I was terrorizing rabbits and squirrels in the yard while yep. I was still wearing diapers pretty much. What advice, I guess, would you give to somebody wanting to start out or how do you get started? Or I, I don't even know where you would start is the thing. Um, I would say if you really want to get into it, you need to start out with a rifle and, and find someone that's going to go out and show you the ropes, at least for a couple of hunts. Um, the do it yourself stuff is, is great. And that's pretty much how I learned, but I, I got tips and help from people along the way. Um, but there's, there's just so much that you don't know about that. It's better to have a a mentor to start, um, start with a rifle because your skills on getting close to animals is not going to be there. 
your skills just on spotting animals will not be there. Um, I remember when I started, my friend is is pointing out deer that are three or four hundred yards away. I don't see any animal. I'm like, what are you looking at, dude? There's nothing out there. I mean, it took me years to kind of get that hunter's eye where you see movement 500 yards away and you know there's animals over there. So just stuff like that. You're just not going to be able to – you could get close to an animal. That's most likely going to be luck. But um, start with a rifle. Work on some of those skills. Um, Make sure you practice with the rifle. That's a huge thing too. The last thing you want to do is get out there and injure or wound an animal on one of your first hunts and that's probably going to ruin it for you you're going to get frustrated you're going to be upset that you hurt an animal so make sure you're proficient with your equipment and just if you're going to do it just go in 100 percent. don't half-ass anything um, it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of patience so patience is key Um, you're going to have a lot of failed stalks. You're going to have times where you find a nice deer and you pull the trigger and the gun doesn't go off because the fire pin is frozen or it's a bad cartridge. You know, uh, you're going to miss because you got the jitters, things like that. These things all happen. Um, you know, my brother, when he first came out two years ago, you know, I, I was telling him along the way, just little things that you don't even think about, like, is the sun in front of me or is the sun behind me when I'm coming up on an animal? What direction is the wind going? Um, what's my sound? How, how loud are my feet? Um, little things like that. Finding the animal, of course, and then getting the jitters out of your system and making a nice shot. You know, Where you and I live, 300 yards is like a typical shot because it's so flat. There's no cover. So two or three hundred yards to me is a, is a chip shot. But to somebody coming from New York where they can't see further than 50 yards in front of them, that's going to be a long ways away. So, yeah, just, you know, find somebody that wants to help you and show you the ropes. And if you just get a just a couple hunts in with somebody else, then kind of start stepping out solo and you'll figure things out along the way. Um, but the biggest piece of information that I could give is um, there's no such thing as an unsuccessful hunt. I think that every hunt you take some bit of information home to reflect on and you're going to learn from it, whether it's wind direction, um, taking bad shots, anything like that. What, what did I screw up? How come I couldn't kill an animal? What was the issue? Well, Whatever issue it was, you learn not to do that the next time or try something different. So just take every hunt. Don't take it for granted. Just learn as much as you can from your mistakes and and you will be successful. If you're putting on, you know, miles on your feet and you're, you're learning from your mistakes, you'll, you're going to be successful for sure. That's and don't set mistake. your ex. Sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. No, you go ahead. I uh, just say don't set your expectations too high. Yeah. There's, you know. Everyone sees the big bucks on Instagram and Facebook. People don't tend to post the smaller bucks. But then when you get on, uh, let's say, so social media is terrible because everybody is is a bully behind a keyboard. So you post a smaller buck, let's say a two by three or a fork buck, whatever it may be, and you're going to have people crapping on your buck. But they're not the ones that pull the trigger. You are. Like you had a reason for pulling that trigger and you don't have to justify the size of antlers to anybody. So don't don't let that discourage you from shooting a smaller buck. Don't let you know what are other people going to think about this animal if I shoot it. If you want to take the shot, you take the shot. If that's the buck you want or that's the deer or elk you want, you take the shot. So don't set your expectations too high. Um, You're probably not going to be shooting huge bucks right away. But you could be. Just depends on your location, I suppose. Some some areas have more bigger bucks than others. But um, yeah, don't set those expectations too high. So a couple of things I was going to pile on that. Every big deer, like 90% of the big deer you see on social media, that person's got dozens of smaller deer that came before. Mm-hmm. There's the amount of people that have gone out and shot a trophy class deer on their first deer 
is minuscule. There's a lot of so it's not what it's going to be. Don't expect that, like you said. And another thing is you learn your most from when you make mistakes, like you screw up a stock or if you you make too much noise, not thinking that there might be a deer closer. You know, you might be walking like we're out here on the prairie and there might be a little pothole right in front of you, you don't know about. And you're just kind of walking on a lackadaisical trying to go another mile and you kick a deer out when the whole time you should have been paying attention to the terrain, thought there might be something in this and check it out. And then, yeah, that's the biggest thing. Anybody can luck into a deer. Like you could be glassing out to the right, looking way away and 200 yards to your left, a buck comes chasing in a doe, you turn and shoot it. Anybody can do that. It's when you're actually out there doing it. And you make mistakes yeah. that you learn. So don't get all disheartened. I mean, I got lucky and I did rifle for quite a while. Like I would do archery and then I always had rifle as my backup plan. So I wasn't ever really, you know, that upset if I didn't get one. Yeah. But I went, I I think I went six seasons from when I first got my bow hunter card to when I actually shot my first buck with a bow. Yeah. And it's not that I didn't try, it's just that I told myself I got rifle, so I messed up. But I didn't realize that that whole, those whole six years, I was learning stuff the whole way along every time I messed up. And so when it was finally successful, when I made that stock and I got up to him and I did it, and then afterwards reflecting back, I realized all the things I did leading up to it, I had learned in those six years previous. So it's not going to, I mean, it might happen on the first time, but don't be upset if it doesn't happen on the first time, if it doesn't happen in the second season. I went through six seasons and I grew up shooting archery, but it took me six seasons of actual archery hunting to get a buck with my bow. So that's the biggest thing. I mean, it took me seven seasons to shoot a bull elk with my bow. And, and I had elk with me inside a hundred yards almost every single time I went out. So, um, it just takes persistence and patience. So I heard this, I don't remember where I heard this, but it was, it was a year or two ago. But it was a person who was a first-time hunter at the time the story took place, and he had done all the research leading up to killing his first deer. Like, he did all the work up to it, watched all the videos, sighted his gun and everything, but he had never – he was out by himself. He had never looked into what you do afterwards, the whole cleaning process in the meat off and whatnot. So he shot the deer, he got up to it, and then he realized he didn't have a knife. He didn't have anything. He's just standing over his animal. I never even thought about that. So I suppose you had that mentor the first time, but, I mean, did you ever think about that part leading up to it, the whole mess afterwards and everything that it entailed? Yeah, the um, that first harvest that I went on um, before I actually got into the hunting part. So when he shot it, the guy that I was with was basically like, you're going to field dress this one. And I had, I, I was almost, you know, sick to my stomach just thinking about having to do that. And I just was like, you know what? It's just an animal. It's meat. Right. And I just stuck my hands in there and uh, he told me what to do. And um, I was like, Oh, that's actually not a big deal at all. I'm thinking it's going to be this whole disgusting thing. And um, it wasn't. And, you know, every season after that, um, of course, you have your screw ups right away. But uh, what I did was I just took my time and I looked at, OK, here's what I remember out of the book. OK, cut here, cut there, grab this, grab that. Um, and the first few, obviously, they're going to be messy. But, you know, even to the, even to this day, I'll still every once in a while screw up a field dress. It's not going to be the cleanest. But. Um, yeah, it is. Uh, I noticed that with my brother, so. Last year, I mean, he's watched me field dress a couple animals that I've shot, and then he came out last year, and I'm like, okay, this is going to be my opportunity to really show him the ropes of how to do this field dress, and um, unfortunately, the time of day that he shot that buck, I we had to go get my kids from daycare within like 45 minutes, so I'm like, you're going to have to learn really quick. I'm going to do this whole thing for you. Take in as much as you can. So I feel dressed this thing probably the quickest I've ever done it. And I'm like, you you saw what I did, right? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, how hard could it be? So this year when he came out, he shot his cow elk. We did the, um, we quartered it out. 
we did the gutless dress on it and I helped him along the way. But after that, he also had a whitetail doe tag, which he shot a doe. And I'm thinking, all right, I'm going to go back to the truck and get a sled because there was snow on the ground. You know how to field dress by now. So I'll be right back. And I come back and he's just standing over this deer <laughs> with a look of disgust on his face. And I'm like, what did you do? And he's like, uh, I effed up. <laughs> I effed up bad. I'm like, all right, let me take a look. And I'm like, oh, yeah, there were it did, almost did not look like there was any contents inside of there was no lower intestines. It was just goo. It was Didn't put his was finger bad. under it. Did he just not put his finger under the blade and just sliced it up or what? What he says he did was that he nicked the stomach just a little bit and he's just he stopped cutting and was like, he's seen me, you know, kind of cut that gut sack just a little bit and I would just kind of gently move it away. So he's like, oh, it should be fine. Well, he grabbed the guts and just pulled them away from the next cut. And as he did that, I guess his finger went right into that and just ripped the whole thing open. So it was a mess. It was one of the worst I've ever seen. And um, I really had to clean that out with snow. And um, it it was bad. We actually had to stop at my office on the way home to wash our hands because I couldn't make it back to the house. It was just bad. So um, that that's my I, I'd say that's my fault. I should have stayed there and really helped him out. But I can tell you what, he's not going to make that mistake again. <laughs> so is your, is your brother hunting in New York or is he planning on doing that? Yeah, he's he started. Um, I think last year was his first season out. Uh, sorry, I think he's and he started he started with a bow. I'm telling him, man, like you really gotta you gotta start with the rifle so you can just punch out a little bit. You don't have to get so close. But he, um, you know, he he's gone a hundred percent into it. Uh, he's gotten close to animals. And the funny thing about it is, you know, that area that we live in upstate New York is mostly it's tree stand hunting. Nobody spotting stalks out there. You have to sit in the tree stand or a ground blind and just wait. And uh, he just took some of the spotting stalking techniques that I've used out here and applied them there. And he's gotten pretty close to some deer just. And uh, I mean, he has not shot one yet. He shot, um, I think last year he shot at a buck. And I think he just nicked it. Um, those those jitters got to him. And then, of course, you know, the little things that you forget, especially out there with how thick the foliage is, is uh, branches and twigs and leaves all in the way of your shot. So he just nicked the buck last year, but um, he's going to start rifle hunting. I think he just bought his first rifle. And, um, yeah, he uh, he loves it, man. I'm I'm super stoked for him. I hope he has uh, a lot of good seasons ahead of him. So, so that's what I was gonna ask. Cause over east, that's all they do is tree stand hunting. So I was gonna see if he was a tree stand guy or if he was gonna try spot and stock. Is he is he considering tree stand at all, or is he just want to spot and stock and that's it? <clears throat> you know, he he's hunted with my college roommate a few times. Who he he's always been a big hunter for as long as I've known him. Um, I never considered going out with him when i was in college um but i was like well why don't you get together with him because he knows he can he can help you out and i think they sat tree stands a couple times and my brother just doesn't have the patience of if he sees an animal 100 yards away he doesn't want to wait for it to come to him he wants to go to it just because that's how we hunt here in montana so he's he has no choice if he really wants to be successful that's how he's got to do it um and I keep trying to tell him that, but, um, he has, he has had mild success getting close to animals, trying to stalk them on the ground. So, um, I'm not sure what he's going to do next year. I don't have any tree stand experience, so I can't help him out there. Um, well, spot, spot and stalk is all I've ever done with my bow. And then the ground blind that I've hunted antelope out of. Yeah. So now that Montana has this, uh, traditional late season muzzleloader hunt have you thought about applying and doing that at all yeah i've thought about it um it just comes down to having the time you know i have to really pick and choose how much time i want to spend dedicated to hunting um my wife is pretty lenient with me going from september to 
end of October. I get about two months and then I get, you know, maybe a weekend in the spring for spring bear. But it's just it's harder with kids, as you know, to get time away from the home. So I've considered it. Um, it might be something fun to try, but I don't know, man. I've it's just when I think about it, there's just so much time that I have put in throughout the regular season. I don't think my wife would be too happy if I spent more time away. So what did she think about, were you married before you started hunting or were you no. with her? Okay. No. Nope, so nope. she came in after you started hunting. Right. Okay. So I was going to see if there was what she thought of the change from, you know, all beef from the store to, you know, wild um, game. Well, you know, she, she did grow up around it. Her, um, her stepdad was a, he worked for um, Atchison Outfitters back in the day and he always had wild game and um so she's been around it she she was never like a huge fan of it but um i i've i cook pretty well so i know how to cook wild game now and you know not not right away when i first started i, I was cooking things and it tasted like shoe leather but over the years it. i mean oh yeah so you just figure out a technique to, to cook it really really well and taste good and field care and everything like that plays a big factor into the gaminess of it so i'm real particular about um field dressing and getting the hide off right away and cooling it down as quick as possible and that just brings out a cleaner taste so um she was never afraid to try the try that but she does get kind of sick of eating it every night so occasionally i'll i'll let her go get some chicken or some pork from the store but most of the time it's going to be a lean wild game yeah and that was with my wife too i mean she grew up they had cows they butchered cows so she wasn't huge in the wild game and then she dated a few guys here and there been around people that shot animals but they didn't take care of them and like back to what i said about us usually take them home if it's going to be a drive home we'll gut them out before yeah. we bring them but most of the time when we're when we actually shoot our deer we're late season it's cold so it's going to get cold quick and we just get them home get the guts out and it's fine but i i'm fairly good at cooking wild game too so the first time i brought home a deer and said this is what we're eating for a while she wasn't quite enthused but when she found out that there's a way to cook it that it doesn't taste and feel like you're chewing on shoe leather, then she got into it. So a lot of a lot of bacon to start. Bacon helps get them into yeah. it a little bit more. So yeah. so you said that you let her buy chicken. Do you do any uh, bird hunting at all? Any pheasants or ducks or anything? I used to. I've got a black lab sitting next to me right now, and he loves. I don't want to say the b word, but if I, he's gonna he's gonna freak out. Um, yeah, we've done some upland bird hunting. Okay, he's asleep. Uh, okay. and, uh, <laughs> he hears that B word and he's ready to go. He's got a hell of a nose. Um, I, I just, I spend so much time hunting archery that I kind of have to pick or choose. Um, I'll, I'll shoot grouse or pheasants when I get the opportunity to, but, um, my, my dog, he does need a lot of work still. Um, he's got the nose for it, but he also has high, high dr energy and drive. So when he gets out of the truck, he just wants to go. Um, keeping him within like a 30-yard range has been pretty tough with him because he's got so much energy. But um, the nice thing about having a bird dog or a dog with a good nose is I actually started putting some pheasant scent on my fletchings of my arrows. So mm. if I'm target if I'm target practice, I target practice next to a hedgerow. Um, if I lose an arrow, I take him out and I have him walk the hedgerow. And as soon as he gets birdie, I know where the arrow is. He's found multiple arrows of mine that I've lost. Uh, he follows blood trail, uh, so I'll take him out. This year I took him out after I shot my buck. Um, couldn't find the arrow right away, so. I was like, well, it's it's like 85 degrees. I've got to get this buck in, in a fridge or a freezer ASAP. So I, I don't have time to look for that arrow. I'll come back tomorrow. I brought him back the next day. He found both halves to the arrow. He found the broadhead side and he found the fletchings like that were 100 yards apart. Wow. He took me right to it. So he, he's he got a hell of a nose. Um, 
the uh, so, so go ahead. Well, I was gonna say I've never I never thought about that. Like I've got I do dog training, and I yeah. so I've got scent. I've got like antler scent for antler training, and then I also have uh, wild bird scent. I've never thought about putting that on my fletching. I'm thinking yeah. I'm gonna do that next year. That's a good idea. I'm gonna write that down. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's worked for me. Um, and then I also whenever I I, I uh for the most part will process my own meat. He gets a lot of the scraps, so I think just that that scent of the blood in the meat. He um he knows what's up. He knows what I'm looking for. So uh, it definitely helps. And when you have arrows that are thirty or forty dollars each when they're fully set up you don't want to lose any any of them yep. so well especially when i started doing this my broadheads are like thirty dollars a piece it gets yeah it gets real spendy if you get that into this type of stuff but yeah. to where you're saying you don't have time what i i i kind of got into that too because i was mostly just a big game hunter and then after college i started doing all of the other hunting more intensely and it was always kind of a scramble on what i wanted to do that day and so what I found is, like, during uh, archery season, I'll keep my shotgun for uh, um, grouse, because that's during grouse season, too. I'll just keep that in the backseat of the pickup with my bow. And, I mean, like, if I'm looking for antelopes, a lot of the time you're cruising around trying to find a herd, you know, spot them, and then you go from there. If I'm going along and I see on state land a good covey of grouse or something go land somewhere, I'll just take 10 minutes, walk out there, shoot a grouse or whatever. And then I mostly yeah. focus on once we get into rifle season, I pretty much, I put down the shotgun. Don't worry about fishing or anything. I just get that all done with get all. And then once all my animals are harvested, then I just always have the shotgun in my truck. Then if I get free time or a wild hair, just run out, shoot a couple. That seems to be the best way to do it. Always have it available. Otherwise, yeah. if I didn't, then I just would never do it. Like last year, I hardly got any pheasants, and this year I, I quadrupled what I shot last year. And it's nice having that in the freezer, especially now that this whole bird flu is going around. That chicken and eggs are so expensive. It's nice having those yeah. pheasant breasts and thighs in the freezer ready to go. Oh yeah, for sure. So, are you? Like, do you have any bucket list hunts now that you're into it? Anything you want to go do? Any places you want to go see? Or are you just okay with Montana? Um. You know, it's hard to, I don't know yet. I don't, I'd like to get into Alaska and try a hunt up there at some point. Um, I've been pretty content with with how I hunt out here in Montana and the, the amount of time that I actually get to go out. Um, but, I mean, a moose tag would be awesome. So saving up money to maybe try an Alaskan moose hunt, um, that's probably something that's on the bucket list, possibly caribou. But as far as uh, other states down in the lower 48 go, um, I kind of just want to, I don't know, whatever opportunity I get. Like I said, I'm going to be going to New Mexico in a little while for a few months. So I'd like to do some javelina hunts and some hog hunts down there, which would be fun. I've, I've, uh, I've not actually shot one yet. Um, and then who knows, Texas, maybe you know, they've got some exotics down there, but the only thing I don't like about Texas hunting is the high fence operations. It's just, you know, corn fed animals out of a blind isn't the most appealing to me. For some people, that's all they have the opportunity to do, which is great. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I've never really thought about, you know, hunts in the future other than possibly a moose hunt at some point. Cool. That's about where I'm at too. I mean, those guys down in Texas, like you said, that's all they have, but if they want to get out and do it, do it, but that's not quite my deal, especially growing up hunting. I mean, the way that I do and you do, it just doesn't seem very enticing, but also my bucket list would be to go to Alaska for moose and caribou. I've been saying that since yeah. I was a kid. I want to get a grizzly bear, a moose, and a caribou. Now, I would like to do yeah. it all with traditional bow, but, I mean, we'll see how the future holds out. Maybe I'll uh, hit the lottery here in the next month or so and we can make it happen. Yeah, it ain't cheap, that's for sure. Man. Well, uh, I guess that about covers everything I have. Do you have any, I mean, do you have any other cool stories or any adventures you'd want to tell us about or anything like that? Man, I mean, I've got stories, endless amount of stories. The, um, the reason why 
I started recording episodes of a podcast with my friends is because we have so many stories to tell, you know, um, stories to tell and then advice to learn and give from that. Like, let's put this stuff out there and, and see who's interested. So, yeah, I could talk all day about hunting. Um, while you're out hunting, have you seen or I guess you're out quite a bit with the Border Patrol. Have you seen anything crazy out cruising around in the wild at all? Anything you can't explain? Anything cool? Uh, well, you know, when I used to work in the down in Texas on the Mexican border, uh, I worked in Laredo, and Laredo has a King Ranch down there. Has a lot of exotic hunting ranches down there. So one of the the way it works down there with my job is a group of illegals will cross the river. They cross the Rio, and they have to make their way through. Um, endless acres of private ranches hunting ranches mostly or um, a lot of gas and oil ranches down there to eventually make it to a highway where they can get into a vehicle and take off and disappear so they've got to have two or three days of hiking just to get through these ranches and uh, one of these groups that i chased jumped into a high fence and i jumped in after them and i'm looking it's it's midnight close to midnight probably pitch black and I hear some rustling in um, in the bushes. So I'm thinking it's that that's the group. So I run in there and this gigantic creature, which ended up being an eland. I don't know if you know what that is. Yeah. It's an African antelope with the big spirally horns. Yep. I've never I didn't know this creature existed. <laughs> and for that demonic looking creature to stand up in front of me when I'm thinking it's a group. I, dude, I don't know. I might have had to change my drawers that night, but <laughs> that was um, a very freakish um, incident with my job that, you know, and I wasn't hunting at that point. I didn't know much about these exotics. And then to find out that there's also tigers down there and all these crazy other stuff, the alligators down at the river. It was wild. There's so many crazy animals um, up in up in Montana. I've had grizzlies come in. Um, while we're out there on foot which is pretty scary but um you know with these prairie areas you don't expect them out here um but you can spot them from a few hundred yards away fortunately so i've never had any super close encounters i've had a couple close encounters with grizzlies up in the the rockies that's for sure um Mm -hmm. i've seen quite a few when i'm bear hunting um but uh, i've never had anything crazy happen to me thank god I'd prefer to keep it that way. But uh, yeah, I would too. Yeah. Everything crazy that I've had ended up being nothing. Like on the yeah. So I guess if people wanted to check you out, do you have? I guess your podcast is Highline Hunter. So that's yep. How do you spell? Is it H I dash L I N E? Yep, H I dash L I N E Hunter. Um, Instagram is the same just with a period between each word. So high period, hunter period, high, no high period line period hunter. Uh, and then there's a YouTube channel also. I haven't had the opportunity to, um, get much. I have a lot of footage from this season, but nothing to put a video together because everything that I shot, um, the antelope I've got on film, which is a decent film. Um, my muley doe, I filmed but it's all on my GoPro so it's kind of kind of tough to see anything beyond 20 yards Um, but my buck I did not get to film and um, that was unfortunate because it would have made a great video but um, yeah check it check that out Highline Hunter on YouTube Instagram and that's uh, and then podcast is on Spotify Apple iTunes and I think Google Play so the, um, like like you and I were having issues earlier, the audio is just something I got to figure out because we keep having some issues with it. But um, I'll get there eventually. So I promise that my audio will come out crystal clear in no time one of cool. these days. Awesome. Well, thanks a ton for coming on. I enjoyed this. Yeah, man. Right at your hour mark, I told you we'd get to. So Yeah, yeah, great. Um, I'll, I'll have to have you on one of these days, too, on my podcast. So Yeah, for but, sure. I mean – if you're only going to be down in New Mexico for a little bit, I'm sure I got family that's over across the state. So at some point, if we're cruising over, I might stop in for a bit if you're around. So 
Yeah, man. Again, I'll be thanks there. for coming on. Um, we'll uh, talk to you later. All right, man. Take care. Thanks. Yep. Bye.